0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 78 of the Adult Education Podcast. I'm Jeff St. Pierre. Today, we're talking with productivity expert Madeline Dorn. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Adult Education Podcast. It just means so much to me that you would share some of your day with these conversations. This is a labor of love for me. So thank you for taking the journey along with me. If you want to help support the show, leaving a five-star rating is really the best way to go. It is so helpful. And depending on what platform you're listening on right now, you may be able to leave a review. If you wouldn't mind sharing a few words, that would also be really great. Now, before I spoke with today's guest, I was suffering from something that I didn't really understand. It wasn't until I got her book that I was able to put a name to it. Productivity guilt. That feeling like you're doing something wrong when you're sitting still and relaxing. You ever get that? Like you sit down with a beverage and you put your favorite show on only to have this weird feeling like there's something else you should be doing. You can't really enjoy that relaxing moment. I don't know if Madeline Doerr coined the phrase productivity guilt, but it's the first time that I had ever heard it. She recently published her first book called I Didn't Do the Thing Today, Letting Go of Productivity Guilt. Madeline has spent the last five years studying the daily habits and productivity of people and she's come to the conclusion that we're basically being set up to fail. All the tips and advice that we get every day for how to do the most doesn't necessarily help us out in the end. Now, what I love most about this book and this conversation for that matter is that instead of telling us that we need to change our lives completely and we're doing everything wrong, the book invites us to expand our lives and get rid of some of the pressure to be perfect. Madeline and I discussed the idea that we're being set up to fail, how planning too much ends up hurting our creativity and our mutual love of the children's television show Bluey. Now, before we jump into the conversation, just a quick reminder to leave a rating for Adult Education on whatever platform you're listening on. Five stars would be amazing. And drop a review if you're able to as well. You can also find us on social media at adult education podcast on Instagram. Oh, wait, you there mean? it is. Sorry, I didn't have my thing on. <laughs> it's my fault. <laughs> Hey! How are Thanks
1: you? So much for having me. I'm good. I um, it's it's 3:30 a.m. in Australia, so I've got the video off, if that's okay. No, that's um,
0: totally fine. You know, what's funny is I, my first question was going to be, "Please tell me you're not in Australia right now."
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I am. Here I am. It's actually working out okay. I had I had some sleep before I got up to start. So. I'm going to be, I'm going to be good for you.
0: (laughs) Well, I appreciate that, but I can totally understand. I, so I do a morning radio show as my normal job. Um, And so I'm up at three o'clock in the morning every day, but it it takes time to adjust. If you have to get into that sort of like mindset of like, okay, I've got to be awake in the middle of the night to operate and do things.
1: Yes. (laughs) Well, hopefully this can be a, a one time
0: one dub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully next time your, your next book comes out, you'll be able to be wherever the correct time zone is for all of your uh, your interviews and conversations. Uh, but I have to say, yes. I, I just found out you were from Australia like yesterday. I don't know how I didn't pick it up, reading through the book. I must have missed it somewhere where you said it, but I was doing some research, and I found that. I was like, oh, my gosh, she's from Australia. My daughter, who you may have just heard in the background, who's eating lunch next to me right now, uh, we are obsessed with Bluey. That's our new thing right now.
1: Oh yes i quote bluey in the book (laughs) because how could you not (laughs) of course
0: that that show is just so like fascinating and touches on so many different things that i feel like most children's shows kind of leave out or (laughs) ignore but it's great like i i had no idea and I, i guess it's a really big thing in australia so i'm so glad it's made its way over here to america for us
1: yes i'm glad too that's wonderful
0: I've also uh, recently changed the voice of Siri on my iPhone to be an Australian voice because I have this weird Australian obsession right now. So it is a pleasure to hear your (laughs) voice and talk to you today.
1: Oh, thank you, Jeff. (laughs) Uh,
0: So I do want to touch on Australia for just a second because I'm curious, I don't know a lot about the work environment in Australia. I know, you know, theoretically, it's not a lot different than what we experience here in America, but... Different countries have different ways they view work. And I'm kind of curious, because you have spent time in both countries and you've seen how both countries work, what are the differences between the work mindset in Australia versus what we may experience here in America?
1: Big caveat, Jeff, being that I don't think I can speak for the the, the entire culture. I haven't done a complete survey, but I think that it, it is interesting because I think that Australia has a reputation or a stereotype perhaps of, you know, the laid-back Aussie larrikin. Um, But I think that so much of the Western individualist culture has absolutely meant that productivity is put on a pedestal here as well. And so there, there is that in, you know, in, in this society where we're privy to what everybody else is doing on social media 24-7, and we're part of a, a 24-hour news cycle, and there is such a, a, a societal pressure to be productive, I think that that is, has absolutely seeped through. So the differences might be subtle and, and difficult, certainly for myself to pinpoint, because I think it is pervasive, this idea that productivity uh, is becoming a measure of our worth or that busyness is a badge of honour. I think that that has been perpetuated through through many different things, including media, social media. The pandemic, I think, has very much amplified this idea that we can derive most of our value through doing, um, because we saw what can happen um, when, for some people, that stops. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I, I'm not sure if that completely answers the question there, Jeff. But I think that there's there's a lot of similarities rather than differences.
0: No, it does because I, I wanted to kind of get your perspective because you know I think what you just said also describes a lot of America too. I mean, there's a, a mindset with a lot of folks here uh, in the states where it's kind of work yourself to the bone, you work until you die kind of thing. And if you're not working, then you mu- there must be something wrong with you and you're not good enough because you're not you know being productive all the time. And it, and it's it is such a dangerous mindset. When I so when I first saw your book that came across uh, in. my my email, I didn't do the thing today, letting go of productivity guilt. I was like, this is like, this is the book that I feel like everybody needs to read. Like you don't need to be (laughs) be productive 24 hours a day. Like it's okay Mm -hmm. to put something off for a day or figure out a different way to navigate uh, how to get things done.
1: Exactly. I think that that's such a great way to put it there, Jeff. It's finding that different way. And it's finding that way that works for you because, you know, at times maybe being productive is really suiting your, your lifestyle. And maybe that is the busyness has a flow to it and so there's nothing wrong with being productive it's when we place it as the center of our lives I think that there's there's so much that can happen in our day that that we can overlook be it connecting with people be it learning something be it thinking be it being a a kind gesture to somebody else I think that those things um, can be counted amongst the doing as well and can enrich our lives just as much if not more so than simply being productive
0: And you kind of touched on this uh, a couple seconds ago when we were talking about the differences between work in America and Australia, but during the pandemic, the word productivity has come up so much in so many conversations in in a lot of different ways. But I feel like one of the more prevalent ones, at least that I've seen and experienced, is there's this mindset with, uh, say, managers or bosses where if you're working from home, you're not being as productive and that is such an interesting mindset to me because personally, I feel like I was so much more productive at home. I didn't have the, the office stuff going on. I was able to navigate getting things done at the house that I would normally have to do at different times. You know, I could do a load of laundry and then go back to my Zoom meeting. It was like I felt like I was getting so much more done in my day in a pace that was working for me than if I was trapped in an office just sitting behind a desk for eight hours just trying to kill time.
1: Yeah, see precisely. And I think this you've just touched on what can be the problem with productivity, is that it is so difficult to pinpoint what it even means. Is being productive working, you know, eight hours straight from nine to five? Is it uh ticking off everything on your to-do list, even if it might be arbitrary? Is it getting being really efficient with what you need to get done? Is it doing the thing that means that um It solved a problem that you've been working on for weeks or months or years. Is it having that flash of insight in just in a in a in a second? All of those things, in many ways, can be deemed productive, and the the definition can shift. And so, when we just narrow the day to being productive, when we don't even know what that looks like, I think we set ourselves up to fail, or, or we're being set up to fail because really, it's what you sort of it's it's how you can be flexible. It's about finding your pace of working that works for you it's about finding a definition for being productive that that suits your own rhythms and and and, and gets the best out of you and that can look like an afternoon nap
0: <laughs> yeah you know I've, i found so many times while reading through the book and i'll be honest i haven't finished it yet um but reading through the book there were so many moments where i was actually finding myself kind of comparing your words about productivity to a lot of the conversation we've recently had about social media where one thing in the book you say is that uh there's a sense that we that what we do is tied to our worth and i kept kind of picturing this idea of like when you're scrolling through social media you're seeing the best thing of everybody's day you're not seeing the bad mm-hmm. parts of their day but you're tying that image that you see to their worth like you're saying and even to your own worth you're like oh man she looks so good that day or, or how does that guy keep it all together when he's got a kid like i'm so useless i can't do that and you you're, you're when you tie things to your own self worth it really can be so detrimental to you
1: it really, really can. And I think it's what perpetuates in some instances this this busyness or this hamster wheel because we're trying to keep up with what we think other people are doing. But really, it that's also a projection. So we're seeing these very curated highlight reels. And we know that. We know that by now that people curate what they put on social media. But even in that knowledge, we still spiral and feel deflated or feel like we're not keeping up. When when we see those images, it's very hard to, to really let that sink in, that that's a projection of life. It's not real life. And then we all the while see our real life, our messy, imperfect life um, strewn around us. And so I think it's it's very much about these stumbles that we encounter with productivity guilt. So it, it is this stumble of comparison that can mean that we are busier or this idea of even ambition can mean that whatever goals we have for the future can make our our day to day almost impossible to keep up with and so it's it's again comes back to this idea of where are we putting our worth are we putting it our worth in our goals are we putting it in what we think we need to do to keep up with other people or are we finding something that is really true to us because at the end of the day, the worth is not going to come from outside of us. It's going to come from within us. So it doesn't matter how productive we are. um, If we make that the measure and if we make something outside of us what makes us worthy. We'll, we'll never arrive there. We'll be forever chasing our tail.
0: Yeah, I, I know one of the things that I was reading about the book too is, you know, you've been working on this subject for many years. It's kind of a labor of love, your your podcast, your website, and now uh, this book that's kind of all come full circle here. And, and one thing that you even mentioned here before is that you found that we're basically being set up to fail. And, and I'd love for you to kind of dive more into that idea of how we're we're kind of set up to fail in that as much as as productive as we think we're being and as much as we think we're finding the perfect systems to to get things done. Are we really?
1: Yeah, because I, well, I've certainly encountered this and, and many of the people that I interviewed have encountered this is that m- my whole project um, started as a, as a search for the secret to being productive. And so I interviewed hundreds of creative people in particular about how they do what they do, searching for this perfect recipe. And I soon found through experiments and through these conversations that I couldn't recreate the same recipe when I've got different ingredients that I'm working with. And so we're being set up to fail because we're being told that there's these solutions out there. There's these one size fits all productivity hacks or time management systems. And if you just do this, if you just wake up at 5am, or if you just put butter in your coffee in the morning, you will be a better human being and you'll get everything done and you'll be content and live happily ever after but the thing is that these one size fits all solutions don't fit everybody we all vary we have variances in how the hours unfold in the day we have variances in our neurodiversity we have variances in our energy and our attention and our responsibilities and and even what our working hours look like and there's countless variances and so We can't have these one-size-fits-all solutions. And that's what's setting us up to fail because we can stumble even further. We feel like we're not doing enough. And so we reach for these productivity hacks as the solution to that. And then we try that and fail and then feel even more like a failure for that thing not fixing us when really we're looking in the wrong direction and need to find what works for us and our own variances and experiment with our own ingredients, I guess.
0: Yeah, there was a book I read a couple years ago. I want to say two or three years ago, and I forget what it was called, but it was a person that studied the morning routines of successful people. And the idea was to share how these people are starting their day and maybe inspire you to make some changes for how to start your day. And I remember reading it, and there were all these, you know, great insight into how the CEO of you know Fortune 500 companies or this ultra marathon runner, or whoever, uh, were starting their day. And I, I and I tried to take a couple things uh, into my own life and try to start. But then I'm like, but wait, I wake up at three o'clock in the morning. Like, how much earlier can I wake up? to do all of the like it must be nice if you don't have to log in for your first meeting until 10 a.m. or whatever you can wake up at six or seven and go to the gym and have a leisurely coffee and read the newspaper like that's a luxury (laughs) but so when you you, my I guess my point is when you see these stories of people they're meant to inspire you but just because it works for them doesn't mean that it's going to work for you
1: exactly Jeff and I think that that's where we can we can trip up because um we're told that it will work for us but 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 we we have a different day um and i think it's working with that 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 can be key and seeing that you know there's also so much behind the scenes that goes on too behind those routines or behind those hacks we don't know what kind of support or opportunities or privileges other people might have that make it easier to 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 follow these particular rigid schedules and things and so again i think it's letting go of the comparison and and trying to let let go of of trying to fix yourself or or find validation through something external to us like productivity and and really being alive to your own day and, um, even you know embracing what works for you, even if it looks encounter- counterintuitive to other people.
0: There's something too about being busy and how it's. I think you might have said this earlier, or it's or it's in my head anyway that it's like a badge of honor now to be busy. Like if anybody asks mm-hmm. you, you know, how are you doing or how's your week look, you're just like, oh, so busy. Like it's the automatic response to everything. So now I'm at the point where I can say, actually, I've got nothing to do today. Like I'm gonna go home <laughs> and I'm gonna sit on the couch and watch uh, Bluey with my daughter and relax for a little bit. Like it almost makes me feel better just to say that sometimes to people, but. How do we find ourselves in this in this world where busy is the cool and hip thing to be? It seems like you'd want to be less busy.
1: Yes. It's funny because all of these you know, ways to optimize our time, isn't that so that we can have free time? And then right. when we have the free time, we're using it to sort of optimize it even further. So it's like, what are we actually... Aspiring to, um, if you know, when we do have that that day off, we ruin it or spoil it with productivity guilt. <laughs> so it, it, it is kind of a funny little um, hamster wheel that we're on. But I think that in in many ways, maybe this busyness is a badge of honor. It, it comes from this idea that if we're busy, we're in demand, and if we're in demand, people value us and people think that we're important. And so, it, in some cases, busyness can be about status, and I, I mean that specific busyness where it is a badge of honor. Sometimes busyness is absolutely circumstantial, sure. um, but when it's that busyness of perpetuating it to to prove your importance to other people, I think that, that that's something that we can inspect a bit closer. Especially if you're perpetuating your own busyness and then complaining about how busy you are. So at the same time, one at, in the same moment, you're complaining about how busy you are, but you're also trying to sort of show off how busy you are. (laughs) So I think in those cases, you know, there is a choice there and maybe it is about, you know, if if more people celebrated the fact that they have the afternoon off or gloated about having time to be a sloth on the couch, then maybe we could sort of subtly shift what we prioritise and see that, oh, well, maybe, maybe that moment of downtime is just as valid and, you know, we're humans, so it, we don't have to prove our worth just through doing. Part of the human experience is, is also to find rest and connect with people and connect with ourselves, most importantly. So, if we're perpetually busy, and on that hamster wheel, then we don't have any time to, to really ask ourselves what it is that's important in this life. You know, it'll disappear in yeah. a busy flurry. So I think that's why it's crucial. If if you if busyness is a choice. Ask why you're making that choice and maybe how you want to be spending these precious days.
0: It's so funny when you say, you know, perpetuating our own busyness. I have a couple of coworkers that do this and it cracks me up because they... (laughs) don't really have a ton to do, which is okay. Like there, there are busy times and slower times. And I think you need to embrace that Mm -hmm. and, you know, understand there are going to be times where you're going to put in more hours and there'll be times where you put in less and it kind of all balances out, but they, they just have this way of always looking busy, like always looking flustered. Like the day is crazy. And and one of them, I know exactly what they do all day and it's not that time consuming. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's not that. So it just makes me laugh. I'm thinking why, like, why don't you go take it, you know, take a half an hour, go get a coffee. Come back and relax, like breathe. No one's going to be mad that you're stepping away from your desk for 20 minutes and, you know, go, go just get some fresh air. You don't have to, you know, pace around the office and look like you're so busy all the time. It's okay.
1: It's okay. And, and if you, if people do that, then you're by effect giving other people permission to do the same. Imagine the ripple effect of that. If people perpetuated that instead, if people gloated about that lunch break, <laughs> we would have more people perhaps taking lunch breaks and less burnout, less less exhaustion, less overwhelm. Um, so I think that would be a wonderful thing to see.
0: I never thought I had productivity guilt in my life until I was reading your book. And I realized that because I don't think anybody ever put a a term to it. Like, I don't think I ever heard someone Mm -hmm. say like, that's what this feeling is. And, And I think that I've, I've beaten a lot of it in my life, but I remember specifically, my daughter is about 14 months old. Um, so a little over a year ago, I'm sitting at home, working from home during the pandemic, and I'd be with her during the day. There would be times where she would fall asleep on my chest and sleep for two hours. And I'd think, well, I'm not moving because I need my baby to rest. So I'm just going to sit here. And the entire time, my thoughts would be running through my brain like crazy, like I'm wasting all this time. I'm not getting anything done. what People are going to think I'm lazy. What's going on? But in reality, the thing that I was doing, just laying there and bonding with her, was the most important thing that I could possibly be doing in that moment. But I had this productivity guilt, and I never really thought about it from that perspective mm. until you know reading through the book. And I'm like, wow, that is something that I, I feel like we all just have somehow got ingrained in our heads, that we, every second needs to be spent.
1: Oh, uh, Jeff, you've almost brought a tear to my eye with that anecdote, because isn't that it? Because, you know, what we call a waste of time is heartbreaking, you know, and, you know, it's, it's a, it's become sort of, it's a societal message that's seeped in and we don't necessarily mean it, but, you know, I think so often we label things a waste of time or as lazy or as doing nothing when we are doing the most important things in this life. We're doing the things that we're here to do, which is bond with our baby or rest. And it's, it, I think it's just if that's a message that people can get from the book to count those beautiful special precious things in our days and to make time for those things rather than feeling bad about not getting through our to-do list that would be really wonderful
0: when you were doing your research i don't know how far back you discussed things with people but i'm i'm wondering if this productivity idea that's kind of you know ingrained in us Part of me, you know, uh, from an anthropology standpoint, kind of thinks like, does this go back all the way to when we were hunter and gatherers, where if you weren't doing anything, you were probably getting eaten by a lion or whatever. Uh, so you were always busy, always trying to survive. And, you know, is it something that's kind of like just in our bodies? It's like, a, I don't know, a habit that we just have? Or is it something that's been kind of created through this sort of like capitalist mindset of like you must be working all the time like i wonder i wonder where this really comes from
1: the research was very much a, a labor of love and following my own curiosities so i'm by no means an academic or researcher or anthropologist in in that sense and i think that this productivity guilt comes from many factors including sort of this um capitalist overlay that we, that. we how we view things but perhaps there is something innate to being human in terms of of wanting to progress of of wanting to move things forward and and that that sort of by definition is productivity but I think it is interesting to see uh how these these pressures have pervaded so there's one book that um I turn to again and again. It's by Arnold Bennett, How to Live on 24 Hours a Day is what the title of the book is called. It was written in 1908. So we've got 100 years and more (laughs) on this. this. And he speaks about this um, idea of, you know, wasting time that you just spoke to as well. And and this idea of we can't actually waste time in advance. And so anytime that we're feeling this sense of productivity guilt or like we're not doing enough or that we wasted the morning, we can actually turn over a new leaf we can turn over a new leaf in this next hour um and that can be a real comfort to see that we we can turn things around but it also maybe speaks to this idea that we have grappled with this idea of of not doing enough for for many 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 centuries perhaps and maybe it comes back to this very human condition that we we do just have this one life and so sometimes that you know there's this pressure to seize it and we we want to seize it we want to get the most out of life um but it's just that the irony can be that the pressure to seize the day can mean that we waste the day in productivity guilt because we feel like we're not seizing enough. So I think it's just finding that fine line and re- remembering to, um, you know, turn over a new leaf if we need to, or just embrace the moment for what it is as well.
0: Isn't it funny when you read older texts and as you're reading it, you're thinking, "Wow, it's been over a hundred years and we still haven't quite <laughs> figured it out yet." Like,
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. We just kind of keep you know learning the same lessons over and over until until they sink in or maybe they never do maybe the maybe the beauty is in the learning even if it means learning
0: over and over again. <laughs> it's one of those like sad things when uh, when the pandemic started and you started to see things popping up about the Spanish flu from uh, from the early 1900s and the advice they were giving people in the Spanish flu was wear a mask, don't go to crowded places, wash your hands. And I'm like, that's literally the same advice we have now, and it's been a hundred yes. years. <laughs> how do we how do we not have a better plan for this yet? <laughs> uh. <laughs> Uh, but something else you talk about in the book, which I thought was really interesting, is that, you know, people like to have to-do lists. They like to be disciplined in their routines and trying to get things done. But being disciplined actually takes away creativity from you.
1: Yeah, you know, I think many things, be it a to-do list, be it a routine, be it this idea that, oh, if I could just be disciplined, then I could figure this all out and I could stick to my routine and I could, you know, get up early in the morning. Um, we We really put a lot of the emphasis on discipline to achieve these things. But by definition, discipline has this this idea of punishment baked into it. And so many of these things that we're telling ourselves we need to do, we almost dread them before we've even begun them, because if we fail at them, then we will, you know, be punished for it, either by ourselves or (laughs) someone external. Um, And so I, I just don't see that necessarily as the best motivator for everyone. Some people might find that, you know, doing the dreaded thing first can be the thing that sort of sets up the day well and they get it out of the way and they find the momentum. What I speak about in the book is this idea of delightful discipline can be more motivating for some people. And delightful discipline is really about finding the enjoyment first. And that's not to say that everything we do has to be something we enjoy, but finding a way to enjoy it um, can can be the very thing that sets us up to, to do the thing because chances are if we enjoy doing something We will do it or we can sustain the the doing of it for longer. And so in the book, I speak about something called eat the clotted cream method. And it's kind of a spin on this idea of the eat the frog method, which Brian Tracy popularized. And the eat the frog is very much about doing the most dreaded thing first in the morning to get it out of the way. And again, that can be great. But I interviewed a farmer called Matthew Evans and he when I interviewed him, spoke about how he starts the day with a beautiful bowl of porridge with a big dollop of handmade clotted cream, and he said that if he starts his day with that delightful thing, the day doesn't get much better, but often it does. Um, And so that really inspired me to think, well, okay, well, we can all have this metaphorical clotted cream, so what's the most delightful thing? If we put it first, maybe that means that we enter a better mood for the day. And that can help us do the very things that we want to do. So it can bring that feeling of enjoyment through the day. And so instead of being driven by dread, we're driven by delight. Mm. And perhaps that could be the very thing that helps us find momentum. Um, And interestingly enough, develop a discipline (laughs) through doing the things repeatedly because we want to do them.
0: What an interesting way to look at it. You say instead of being in the day driven by dread, you're driven by enjoyment, and or delight i think you said and that's such an interesting way to look at that i never thought of before like how many of us wake up every day dreading what's about to happen to us instead of waking up going man this is going to be a good day or i'm looking forward to xyz we i feel like it happens to me all the time like i wake up and i immediately think oh i've got that meeting I've got to talk to this Australian writer today. That's going to really suck up half my day. I'm just kidding. I was very excited for this conversation, <laughs> uh, but but like how many of us wake up that way and don't, don't look for the bright spots and don't look for the exciting things that come in the day.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think that the, that's the delightful discipline is maybe being disciplined in looking for those delightful things. I think that's a great place to start.
0: Madeline, tell me more about your podcast that you have to, I haven't checked it out yet, but I really got to dive into this.
1: Oh, sure. So, um, the podcast is really an extension of the project that I was doing called extraordinary routines where I was speaking to people about their day-to-day lives and saw that after a while, as I mentioned, searching for the secret to productivity wasn't, (laughs) wasn't really, um, I I didn't find the secret instead I found that we have these shared stumbles. And so the podcast is really looking at both the routines and the stumbles. And so the podcast is, is called routines and ruts. And I, I, speak about what people's days look like and really go into what their stumbling blocks might be. Um, And for season three, I've been looking at um, helping people with their productivity guilt quandaries. And so people can write in with any kind of productivity guilt dilemma. And I've been giving them sort of advice like (laughs) tips and things on on how to navigate that so that we can really ultimately find that permission slip um, to experiment with what works for us Um, be it you know eating the clotted cream in the morning or or be it you know um, turning over that new leaf be it you know trying to untangle from comparison and so yeah the podcast is very much exploring that we have these rhythms sometimes we've got the routine going sometimes we're stuck in a rut but both of them teach us a lot and so it's it's not sort of about um, emphasizing one on the or the other or putting something on a pedestal and and something else is as labeling it as negative or bad it's about you know finding the balance with it all
0: Well, Madeline, I I appreciate you so much for all the work that you're doing. It's very insightful. I love what I've read in the book so far, and I'm looking forward to finishing it up. The book is called I Didn't Do the Thing Today, Letting Go of Productivity Guilt. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for waking up in the middle of the night to talk to us uh, over here. I really do appreciate that. And and is there a centralized place that people can go if they want to find out more about you?
1: Absolutely. They can go to MadelineDaw.com and find the books and the podcast and newsletter and all of those lovely things. Thanks so much, Jeff. This has been such a treat to chat with
0: you as well. Well, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your morning, I guess. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again sometime soon.
1: Thank you so much. Have a great day.
0: Big thank you to Madeline Doerr for her time today. The book, I Didn't Do The Thing Today, Let It Go of Productivity Guilt" is available everywhere. And thank you to all of you who are listening. Until next time, be well.